Joshua. We, in Deuteronomy, having finished the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, known as the book of Moses, you finish one-seventh of the Bible. And now we come to the end of Deuteronomy, Joshua writing the final chapter concerning Moses' death. And in Deuteronomy 34, verse 8, we saw that the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Um, It no doubt was just a, a, a tremendous loss to have this patriarch, 120 years old, this man who was raised uh, in the universities of Egypt and the king's house, a man who'd been a down-to-earth guy, a humble shepherd for 40 years of his life, and, and now for 40 years, a deeply spiritual man, experienced leader, a man who Communicate with God and, and according to God like no other man ever has or will. Face to face, mouth to mouth, he had this communion with God. And to have such a tremendous man whose face glowed because of the presence of God that was around him. And now for him to, to be gone. I'm sure it, it, it was a, a deeply unsettling feeling. And it seems to be even more so for Joshua. Joshua, remember, was over 40 years old when the first time they started to go into the promised land and they didn't make it. And all that generation now has died off. You have people that the oldest were 19 and numbers 13 and under, everybody 20 and older died off except for Joshua and Caleb. So next to Joshua and Caleb, the youngest person would be uh, right around 60 and under. And so um, Joshua and Moses had become incredibly close companions. And uh, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Sort of a heavy thing here, but it seems like Joshua is sort of stuck that he was sort of stuck maybe in grief, maybe sort of just paralyzed by what do I do now? I've always been assisting Moses. He gave the command and we did it. And now I've got to be the one giving the command and and I'm just not comfortable with that. You know, Joshua is, is an amazing guy. We see him as called the servant of Moses, the assistant to Moses, He was this guy that would do whatever was needed of him. They come right out of slavery. You got to remember, Joshua's grandparents and great-grandparents and his parents were slaves. Joshua was a slave for most of his life. And now they come out of slavery, never been trained with swords or spears or anything, And there immediately after leaving Egypt in Exodus 17, Moses says, Joshua, create an army, go down and fight the Amalekites. So here's Joshua going from a slave, regular guy, a nobody. We learn later in Chronicles that he's from the tribe um, of Ephraim. Remember, Joseph 
the guy with the coat of many colors, he had two tribes, his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. And Ephraim, Joseph was the tribe of Ephraim. His parents originally named him Oshia, which is salvation. But Moses later renamed him Yahshua or Yahoshia. God is our salvation. And no doubt it was prophetic that, that he did that as we're going to see that Joshua is a type of Christ. But we see here that um, he has to take the armies and he goes down and, and he, in Exodus 17 and he has victory and, and God says to Moses, I want you to take Joshua and I want you to write out before him all that happened. Because remember, up on the mountain, Moses had his hands lifted up. While his hands were lifted up, they had victory. When the hands came down, they had defeat. And Joshua would have thought it was his skill or his strength or, you know, the, the fact that I guess this army stuff isn't so hard. <laughs> this military stuff, we, I guess we just have a knack at it or whatever it was that he wanted to, to, to really grill into Joshua. It was the power of God that brought victory. It was the hands lifted up crying out to God that brought victory not the hands on the sword in the valley below. And I, I wonder how that affected Joshua. I wonder if just the color left his face and he's like, whoa, man, it wasn't about my arm strength in the valley. It was about Moses' willingness to keep his arms up uh, in prayer. And we see Joshua is this guy who's just stayed right next to Moses. And the only time we see them departing, when Moses left the tabernacle, it tells us that Joshua lingered there, stayed there, remained longer than even Moses in prayer. He was a faithful follower. And thus, it's certain that he will also be a faithful leader. He was faithful in the small things. And therefore, God can entrust him to be faithful with great things. There's no shortcuts to, to being the man that God uses. It's time spent willing to be a servant, willing to assist, willing to wash the saints' feet that creates the character that you will be the man that God causes you to be when you're in the place of authority. And so Joshua is an example to all of us of a man that God raised up from doing the little things for decades after decades. You know, we're going to get to heaven and, you know, you wonder how much glory the Moseses of the world are going to get because they got so much praise from man. But yet behind the scenes are Joshua's. Not necessarily the limelight of the story, most of the life, but much of the life, what they have done is in secret and their reward will be great in heaven. But here he has to say, the time of grieving is over. Moses, my servant, is dead. And you know, the other thing I think the reason this is emphatic here, because we find in John 1, it says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yahshua, Joshua. We say it in the Greek, Jesus. It's interesting that the law, if you would, had to die. 
as we've been learning in Romans, before we can enter into a life of grace and in the spirit. Moses, because of his anger, because of his misrepresenting of God, of, of the wrath of God, was not able to cross over. But Yahshua, Jesus, is able to bring him into the promised land. So Joshua, I know it's tough. I know you don't, 30 days isn't enough to grieve over such a dear, dear friend. But he's dead. And in verse two, now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. You need to step up now as a leader and lead. And that's gonna be a theme through the book of Joshua. One of the signs of a wicked nation is an absence of leadership. One of the signs of a carnal home is a lack of leadership. Leadership is connected with character and character comes from a godliness. And when godliness is not present, character is not present, thus leadership is not present. And so the word of the Lord to all of us tonight, especially the men here, now, arise and be the leaders, be the men of God that God's called you to be. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 that the glory of Jesus is the Father. But the the glory of the Father is Jesus, but the glory of Jesus is men. Interesting. That that which glorifies Jesus is the male presence of leadership in the church. But yet as you go across the world, you will find almost unanimously that in any Christian church, the majority of those organizing, leading, teaching, ministering is women. Why? Because again, men have to be push forward to say, guys, rise up. I I know it's not comfortable. I know it's not fulfilling. I know it's not always worthwhile. I mean, the one thing that you learn once you are a leader is you put out this much and you get back this much. That, That leadership sort of dries you out. It sort of Waste you in a lot of ways. It's it's not there's not a lot of glory. The amount of glory you get, it's not worth it's not worth it. And a lot of people who go in for the wrong motives, they quickly have to juggle and figure out why am I leading? All the reasons I was leading are they're worthless. Well we're leading because God's called us to to stand up as men and to stand up and be a voice and stand up to help not only ourselves but others to enter into places they never would have entered in without you. Boy, how we just need to understand that. The eye can't say I don't need the ear. The foot can't say I don't need the hand. Every part, Ephesians 4 says, doing its share causes the growth of the body. Every part. And it's so essential that we understand that no matter how insignificant we may feel in our own eyes, or how useless we may feel as a leader. That the fact that you are there filling the gap, it's huge. 
And in verse 3, he says, Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites, and the great sea towards going down of the sun, shall be your territory. 300,000 square miles. We're going to learn that they never possessed it. The most they ever possessed was one-tenth of that, 30,000 square miles under King David and Solomon. And in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So we begin to get a hint here of what's going on with Joshua. He's comparing himself with Moses. And he's saying, how can I fill Moses' shoes? And, and God is saying, you know what? It's not about Moses. It's not really about you, Joshua. It's about me. I'm the same God. I didn't die. <laughs> the same power, the same presence, the same leading, the same spirit, the same word, the same strength, the same victory. It's, it's about me. And boy, that's, that's, a, that's a powerful thing. To, we often, it says in 1 Corinthians, compare ourselves amongst ourselves, and that's not wise. Because we can often say, well, so-and-so lives that way, so I'll live that way, and that's a foolish thing for you. Or we say, well, so-and-so is such a great leader, I can't compare, so why even try? And it's ridiculous, because we're all completely unique. And I can tell you in my life, some of the leaders that have affected me the most were on a scale of one to ten as leaders were a one. They were horrible leaders. But yet they were amazing men of God who led me. They were amazing in speaking into my life. They weren't great charismatic leaders. They weren't very good teachers. They weren't very good organizers. But they were called by God. And their personalities, though it may not have been the A-type personality, they were more of the, you know, passive type of personality. But yet, they were just amazingly profound in speaking into my life. And sometimes they were shaking the things they had to share with me and but yet, it was so the Lord, and I so received it. And, and so to, to say that a leader is this A-type personality guy who, you know, has a booming voice and great presence and a great teacher, and, you know, that's just, that's a very small percentage of the type of leaders that God wants to use. Joshua wasn't this great man of authority as Moses. He wasn't this guy with confidence. Remember Moses at 40. He goes down and he kills the Egyptian and he just knew that everybody else knew that God was going to use him to deliver the children of Israel. He was that A-type personality guy. He was that take control type of guy. And he was completely in the flesh and had to run for his life and hide out for 40 years. And he just came to this complete brokenness. And then God said, now I need you to go and deliver the children of Israel in this state of humility and brokenness. And Moses is like, the leadership thing, have a bad taste in my mouth about that, never going there again, got these handful of sheep of my father-in-law, and I'm good to go, no thanks. And God, in essence, had to say to Moses, 
you know what? Arise now and go down to Egypt. And, and Moses went, not in the confidence of his flesh or the boisterousness of his personality, but as a humble servant. And there God worked a mighty work. And so I wonder if Joshua compare, <clears throat> comparing himself to the final Moses rather than the earlier Moses is uh, really in, in, in no way uh, comparing himself in an equal way. But he says here plainly, as I was with Moses, there's no partiality with God. I can say that to you right now. As God was with Moses, God will be with you. As God was with Apostle Paul, so God will be with you. And the Lord even ups at one and says, as the Father is with me, so the Father and I will be with you. And there in Matthew 28, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us always. And so we need to understand there's no partiality with God. In 2 Chronicles 16, it says, the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the earth to find somebody whose heart is complete towards him that he could build them up and strengthen them and use them. God's looking for willing vessels. And here he's telling Joshua, you know what? You, you feel like, like you're insecure here and that people are going to walk all over you. But he says in verse 5, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm going to put uh, a fear, if you would, on the people to respect you. And all your days, you're going to see my hand upon you. And so in verse 6, he says, be strong and have good courage. So we can, from this, deduct he didn't feel strong. <laughs> and he didn't feel very courageous. Although we see in moments in his life, he was. But now, as he has to be the number one guy... Not there. And then God goes on to say in verse 6, For to this people you shall divide an inheritance of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. I'm going to do it. I'm promising you you're going to have victory. You're going to get across the Jordan. The people are going to be in the land. You know, you're not going to get down to the Jordan like Moses and ah, they back out and another 40 years in the wilderness. We're going forward. But now God says it a second time. Only be strong and very courageous. <laughs> Ouch, you know, when God has to start repeating things, um, it's sort of assumed that you really didn't believe him the first time. And then he adds to it that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The only reason you should feel insecure is if you walk away from an obedient life to me. And if you're not walking obediently, you're not walking in the same spirit. Maybe it's the right hand, you, you become super spiritual and self-righteous. Are you going to the left hand, you become carnal and worldly. No, I, I, I don't need you in this guru state, <laughs> some hyper-spiritual Guy, I, I don't need that. I, I don't need you in, in carnality. I just need you to walk and follow me and, and to keep the word. And then all the prosperity that I want to put upon you, you'll have it all. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Number one. 
but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success or complete success. So he he does come back and he says, I'm getting you into the land. The people are going to have their portion. But to what degree of success, to what degree of prosperity, there is a condition. And that condition is based upon, number one, your obedience to the word. And number two, the priority of God's word in your life on a daily basis. I want it on your lips, in your mouth. You're always thinking the word, quoting the word, relating all your life to the word, the the words in you, and just you're meditating on it. And here you are 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later, meditating on these words. It's on your lips. It's in your mind. David in Psalms 1 takes from this, no doubt, and he writes a beautiful psalm, the first psalm. Blessed is the man who meditates in God's word day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He bears fruit in a season, his leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does prospers. Wow. Who can turn that down? Who can say, I already have too much prosperity, I don't know what to do with it all. I'm sort of trying to go the other way and be a little less prosperous. My marriage is too good. My kids are too wonderful. You know, things are just going too good. I'm starting to feel like life's too good. I need to make it bad for a while. I I don't think so. I think we're all saying, man, I I, I need more. I, I mean, I'm glad for the success that God's given me in many areas of my life. But there's many other areas I just need God's hand upon my hand. I need God's just flood of blessing in that area. And God, in essence, is saying that as you go into the promised land and you begin to be focused on many different things, there needs to be a center point of the word of God. And, you know, our life gets very complicated and very busy. And there's all kinds of stuff that comes our way that, you know, when it rains, it pours, right? One thing breaks in the house, everything breaks. You know, one car breaks, they all break. You know, one person gets sick, everybody's sick. And, it, and it's just like a flood. But yet, if you have this constant, this anchor in your life, that whatever comes, I'm in the word. And to find that place, that time that God wants to meet you. Maybe it's early in the morning, maybe it's late at night, maybe it's at lunchtime. Whenever it is, that it's a constant in your life that no matter what winds and waves of life are coming, no matter what season of life we're in, the constant is I'm anchored to the word. It's on my lips, it's on my mind, and I'm constantly doing it in action. What, where, where, what did God speak to you this week? And you're in action on that area of the life of, your, of God's word. Then you're going to have not just prosperity, but a great prosperity. And this is, again, where we have to understand we're working in cooperation with God. God wants to take us deep into all that he has for us. But he can only take us as deep as we are willing to go. And if we're going to the right or to the left, we're, you know, you're sort of neutralized until you get back on the narrow road that leads to life. If, if 
you're not listening to him, then he's not speaking. You're not going to hear it. So often there's things God wants to share with us, preparing us for the week to come or the year to come, but we're just not in a place to hear it. And then those difficulties come or that word in season you need to have in your heart and your mind having even meditated on it, chewed on it for six months or a year, it's not there. And now all of a sudden you're in this very difficult time, this dark night of the soul, maybe with your marriage or with your kids or with your finances or with health or your parents or whatever it is. And, and you are not deep enough spiritually to handle this season. And we just sort of go back and we find that the anchor was pulled up and, and you, you were sort of drifting and you weren't at that place where God could speak everything he needed to speak so that prosperity and that good success would continue to the degree that he wants it to. And so there is a condition. You're going to get across. You're going to divide up the land. The people are going to be in the promised land. But there is a condition. And that is to the degree that the word of God is in your mouth, in your mind, and in action. To the degree that you are continually obeying the exact spirit of what you have learned uh, over these last 40 years in following me. And in verse 9, have I not commanded you? Number three times, ow! That's a, that's, a, that's a rough word, you know, asking Peter three times, do you, do you love me? So here we see, be strong and of good courage. I, I wonder what Joshua thought when he heard it for the third time. And now the Lord adds to it this time, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. So there is a fear of man, fear of the future, a fear of failure, a fear of the giants and the what-ifs, the rebellion of people, the unwillingness to listen to him. I mean, there's a lot of genuine fears. And often, you know, they're real fears that can just completely neutralize us, stop us. And and God is saying, I I don't want those fears to be added into the equation to cause you to be stymied and then to be dismayed, to be discouraged in heart at the the things that are present. I mean, you're looking out at millions of people and I'm the leader of these guys. They're all looking to me to, to give the command to cross over the Jordan and I really don't want them looking at me. I wish Moses was here. They could look at him and I could just hide down below and, you know, put my head down and get, get him some water when he needed it. You know, I, I, this, is, this is overwhelming. Well, why shouldn't he be afraid? Why shouldn't he be dismayed? He tells him, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. H- have you noticed that? Back in verse three, every place the sole of your foot goes and then he tells them that I will never leave you nor forsake you and now he tells them again wherever you go you know there's this sense I think that Joshua has am am I going to really be in the will of God am I going to really be where I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm really overwhelmed with, with leading all these people astray or not being the person that I need to be and that's a genuine fear. And you know, the, the thing is about the will of God, you really don't have to worry about it. 
if you are a person of the will of God. You see, if you are a person who just is living for the will of God, you will always find wherever you put your foot is the will of God. And so often people are stressed, oh, what's God's will? You know, what should I go? What should I do? What kind of job should I have? Where should I move? What kind of, you know, and they're, you know, got blood vessels popping in their veins and they're, you know, picking up bubblegum wrappers to see if God's speaking to them and, you know, looking at the sky to see if there's a message and, you know, they're, they're all stressed out. And we know, as Christians, we have freedom. God wants us to enjoy the process of life. Lord, is it a hot dog or a hamburger? Please tell me. Mustard or relish? No mustard? Well, sh- I think God's telling me extra mustard. I'm not sure. See, there's no mustard or extra. Oh, man, this is so hard. I can't eat hamburger. Just go get pizza. Lord, if that's okay, you know. He, he, it, that's, that's not life. He just wants you to enjoy it. Go. Put your foot wherever you want. Go surfing. <laughs> go for a hike. Go to the mall. If you are a person of God's will, he is with you. And wherever you put your foot, God is going to bless you there and prosper you there wherever you go. And in verse 10, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days we will cross over this Jordan to go and to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. You know, I wonder how hard that was for the people to hear. Three more days. Oh, man. Joshua, Moses died. It's been 30 days already. We're ready to go, and three more days. You know, there can't be enough said about waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40, wait on the Lord, right? Prepare ourselves. Always be preparing ourselves and our hearts and our minds. But there is the perfect timing of God. And boy, how we want to be in that perfect timing. And as they wait on the Lord three more days, preparing their hearts, preparing their minds, getting things ready, I think there would be just an incredible anticipation when God finally gives the word. Another important command in verse 12 was to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now remember back, these guys said, we want to stay on this side of the Jordan. All the green fields are there for our cattle. And Moses freaked out and just said, no way, this is not the will of God. This is the promised land. That side of the Jordan River isn't. And they just said, we're staying. And the word of the Lord is, you know what? You're you're in God's permissive will, not his perfect will. But if you'll go over with your men, leave all your wives and your kids and everybody here and go help them to get their portion, then this will be your allotted portion, not by God's perfect will, but by his permissive will. And as we go on in time, they were the first to be attacked. They were the first to be deceived and deluded. And they were the first to be captured. It It was... Across the board, a a bad choice. But Moses comes to him now and and he says, or excuse me, Joshua comes and speaks to them again by the word of the Lord. In verse 13, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives and your little ones, your livestock shall remain in this land which Moses gave you in the side of this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them. 
until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you and also has taken possession of the land which the Lord your God has given them, then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. You know, there, it's, it's always easy to dream about doing something. But when the actions come, when you have to actually do it, it's a whole nother thing, isn't it? You know? And so like, oh yeah, when that time comes, you know, we'll just leave our wives and our kids and our herds and our houses and we'll march across there and we'll fight if it takes decades. We're there until everybody has their land. But now, three days, I've got to leave. My wife just had a baby. You know, the cow's sick. <laughs> and uh, the, the roof is leaking and I've got to go. And all of a sudden, I'm finding a lot of good excuses why I should be exempt. It's interesting if you count up the amount of people that they had combined to go to war. It was well over 100,000, close to 130,000. When they actually got the men of war to cross over from Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, it was right around 40,000. Only about one-third actually did go. And so here he is telling them, you, you guys can't just say you're going to do it. Remember that very important scripture, your sin shall surely find you out. If you don't follow through, your sin will find you out. And in verse 16, so they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Boy, that affirmation is so important. Guys, you, you can't underestimate affirmation. To affirm people when they're doing the right thing. To affirm them in their leadership. Wives, affirm your husbands. Dads, affirm your kids. Affirm one another. What you're doing is good. I can tell that you spent time in prayer and practice and when you came to, to lead us in worship tonight, and it's, it's good. It's good that you're serious about your ministry. It's good that you are willing to give yourself every Sunday to be here at five in the morning to get the food ready for everybody. It's good. God bless you. Joshua, we affirm you. And then in verse 17, he says, just as we heeded Moses in all things... <laughs> These guys are self-deceived. I'm, I'm sure that this didn't comfort Joshua. It's like, you're going to obey me like you did Moses? I'm in trouble. But yet in their minds, oh yeah, we were just the model citizens for Moses. So we will heed you, just like we did Moses. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Oh, there's the other side of the blade. You better hope that you're anointed like Moses was. You better hope you have success like Moses did. You better hope that, that God's with you in a powerful way like he was with Moses. Or, you know what? If we see the kink in your, in your uh, armor, we're, we're out of here. We're only going to follow you if it's to the same quality that we had with Moses. That was the very fear that Joshua had. And then in verse 18, 
They come back and say, whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. So they're saying, hey, we're giving you the benefit of the doubt. We're 100% loyal to you. And if anybody shows any disloyalty, we will personally be the executioners of any disloyalty or rebellion uh, against your leadership. But then they said something that I don't think they knew that God had been saying, only be strong and of good courage. (laughs) So they saw, if you would, Joshua's insecurity. I mean, God saw it, and he said it three times, be strong and be courageous. But now these guys are looking maybe at Joshua as, you know, may God be with you, is he with his Moses? And all of a sudden, you know, Joshua's trembling, his hand shaking, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. But then they come back saying, hey, but we're with you. We'll make sure that nobody rebels against you. Hey, be strong and of good courage. Be confident. Don't, don't, show, don't, don't show yourself insecure. I don't think Joshua could help it. I think he was just a very mild man. And he wasn't the, the leader like Moses. He was a, a different kind of leader that would be a, a great leader, but not by being a powerful leader, but by being a great godly leader. And here they saw it as well. So now it's affirmed. I mean, God spoke it three times, and now these guys speak it. The word affirming what God had said. Be strong and courageous. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight. And and Lord, we hear this tonight. We, We know this is an exact parallel to what you're speaking to us. That many of us are asking you to bless our plans when we just need to join you in your plan. That many of us want the prosperity without you. Many of us want the blessings without you. Many of us want your will without being in your will. And how you have made it clear that you're in the package. (laughs) That with you, hearing from you, meditating upon what you have spoken to us, acting upon what you have commanded us, that we will not just have a type of prosperity or a portion of the prosperity but we would have all the prosperity all the good success that's in your heart in your mind and as tonight we just stop for a moment this is your opportunity just a purpose in your heart I love it Daniel it said them in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego purposed in their heart and then we go through the kings it says the king purposed in his heart and did right in the sight of the Lord. And the next king didn't purpose in his heart, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That we tonight need to just stop as believers and purpose in our heart. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, we hear what he's saying. He wants us to be strong and courageous to do what? To be in the word. <laughs> to meditate in the word. To be one speaking the word. It's on our lips, in our mind. It's in action with our hands and our feet and our life. That we would recognize God's with us. That's the common denominator. It's not my lack. It's not my inadequacies. It's not my lack of confidence. It's, it's God. He's with us. We no need to be afraid. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. 
that he is on our side. He's our God, and we thank you, Lord, for that. We take these promises tonight, these great and precious promises, and take them deep into our heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that.